Hey there, it's Coach C, Christine Nielsen with Contrast Coaching and Consulting, and welcome to our final session on our Leadership Generation Challenge. And we are here today on this session of our podcast series to talk about what are some of our challenges in leadership and what are some of the opportunities in leadership that having four different generations of leaders in an organization create. Uh, never before have we actually had an opportunity to work with so many individuals uh, from the boomers to the Gen Xs to the millennials and now the up and coming Gen Zs. And that provides a lot of opportunity as well as challenges for leaders in organizations who are working with all of these different um, high level, high skilled, highly innovative, highly technology, highly everything uh, leaders and how do we manage that? How do we get the most out of our leaders? How do we impact them? And what do we do in face of those challenges? It's a hot topic and we're here today with Rachel Meggett. Uh, she is a managing director at RBC Capital Markets. Rachel is a phenomenal leader. She also has two beautiful children. She's a mom. She's a businesswoman, and she balances all of those things on top of being a leader in her company. Rachel has also founded the RBC Ladies Who Lunch, which is a program geared towards uh, educating young women on opportunities in finance and capital markets and, and futures there. She's also won the uh, Rising Star Award in 2015, right, Rachel? Yes. So without further ado, I really want to welcome you Thank to you. the Coach C podcast Thank you for having me. I am so excited that you're here. And we're really going to chat about leadership today and about how it's changing and what are some of the things that, you know, what does the future look like, but also what are some of the challenges that we have? And, you know, when we first started talking, you mentioned your team and kind of what you have in your team and what you see. How many generations of leadership do you have currently in your team? I would say I have two. I have millennials and non-millennials. Right. And I sort of group them in across those two very broad categories. Yes. But I think what's interesting is it was even hard for me to answer your question originally because I don't necessarily view the team along those generational lines. I view the team as a composition or of a mosaic, if you will, of individuals and a variety of needs that each of those individuals bring to the team as well as the value that they all contribute. I, I love that you said that. And also, what generation would you put yourself in? So where do you sit? I'm Gen X. That's interesting. I probably very incorrectly and very quick to say that I'm not a millennial. And I think that that's more of a function of all of the negativity and the negative stereotypes that are, I would go so far as to say, unfairly and unjustifiably yes. associated with the millennial generation. But I think if I were to look at the year I was born, I think I'm more a Generation X than a Millennial, but arguably, I think would be splitting hairs across yeah, the two definitions I, for me. I agree. And I love that you said that because I think Millennials do get a bad rap. Totally. And they've been painted with this brush that all, and all people are not created equal. It doesn't matter no. what generation you come from. There were really bad leaders that are boomers. There have been bad leaders as role models. There have been really amazing leaders okay. that are boomers and that we fasten ourselves after, you know, that, you know, we fashion our leadership styles after the ones that we want to be like, mm -hmm. you know, Steve Jobs is a perfect example. He wasn't necessarily the best leader and the most personable when he was younger. And as he developed, he had a lot of leadership challenges, yeah. but he created an extraordinary company. So there's always different 
leadership styles and I wouldn't necessarily pick one from one okay. generation. I think that's that's important that you said that. But I think even to your Steve Jobs example, there was an evolution in his leadership. Exactly. So the individual he was when he first started relative to the leader he was upon his retirement, they were two fundamentally different people. They may have had the same job, they may have had the same name, excuse me, and they may have looked the same, yes. but from a leadership perspective, their styles were fundamentally different. And yeah. I think while he was different from start to finish, it was his acceptance in that evolution that probably I would say defined his leadership in a very, in a very major way. I agree. And I, I love that you said that because it is an evolution and any leader doesn't matter what generation you're in. We're always learning. We're mm-hmm. always evolving. We're always becoming more mindful, more yeah. conscious of how does our leadership style impact the people in our organization and what do we want? What's that vision for that? So it's a, it's an interesting question yeah. for sure. I think in a, and the fact that we have to constantly adapt whether we are in leadership roles or not, I think is very much a function of the environment that we operate in. And my ability to lead is influenced very significantly and heavily by the people I lead. Yeah. So what is it that they need from me? What is the feedback that they're giving me in terms of their expectations? What did I do that resonated well? What did I do that resonated poorly? What needs to adjust and how do I need to continuously meet their needs is how we build off of each other mm-hmm. and also how they influence who I am as a leader and help me also grow into my future leadership style. Yes. I, I love that you said that also in terms of that cross-learning. You know, mm-hmm. you are developing each other as leaders and that feedback is critical. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter um, what generation of leadership you are in, getting the right kind of feedback that helps you evolve your style, helps you become the leader that you're committed to being is critical. And I think we've never had, we, we have not never had, we have so much access now to instant feedback. And sometimes when we don't give enough feedback, it's, uh, it, it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. It can be detrimental. Has that ever happened for you? In terms of not getting enough feedback or not giving enough feedback. Both. I think there's maybe both. both. Um, It's interesting because when I first started working and I was fresh out of school, I don't know that I received enough feedback. And in my mind, in the absence of that information, I assumed it was because I wasn't doing well. I assumed it was a problem with me that I wasn't necessarily worth the effort of providing that feedback of of the benefit, I wasn't worth the benefit of being taught. Yes. And what's interesting is when I really internally struggled with that, my friends at the time who become your support group, yes, their, their advice to me and their counsel was, if no one's telling you that you're doing something wrong, you're, you're fine. You're doing it right. Right. And so it was sort of the absence of feedback that was meant to be your confidence that You're doing it. You're nailing it. And that's so counterintuitive to me because you need feedback in either direction. I need to know that what I'm doing is meeting your expectations or exceeding them, more importantly. And if it's not, what is it that I need to do to get there? What is that gap that I need to fill? What are the skills I need to work on? But being devoid of that feedback it leads to so many negative things, right? You become your own worst enemy. I was pulling myself down thinking like, how is it possible that I'm doing such a bad job when the reality wasn't necessarily that? 
But in the absence of that information, you make up your own information. Mm-hmm. I say so, that to our clients all, all the time. time. I've heard you say that to me. <laughs> and and it was it is detrimental because you become your own worst enemy. Yes. And maybe I... Well, I'd like to think that I err on the other side of caution in that sense. And that I'd like to think that I probably give more feedback than some people would like, but I, I'm, I try to be very conscious about giving instantaneous feedback. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that can sit for six weeks, six months, six hours, because I think the relevancy and the recency is important, but it also allows that person to take the feedback and try to incorporate it and adjust almost instantly as well. So I, I, I try to, sort of overcorrect or course correct from my own negative experiences. And so definitely that absence of information or that absence of feedback has influenced me, hopefully uh, in a very positive, in a, or in a positive way. And hopefully my team would also think that it's influenced my style in a positive way. But feedback can also be really hard to give and receive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also about appreciating the person you're speaking to and how they need to receive feedback and what are the cues that they're giving you in terms of what their needs and expectations are? Oh, I, and I also think that's not a generational thing. That's no. a very individual thing. Agreed. It doesn't matter whether you're a millennial, a boomer. The way you incorporate feedback and, and information, if you had a negative experience like the one you had mm-hmm. where you internalize that lack of feedback as a negative thing, many people will respond to that. Or if you have a negative experience the other way where you're getting so much feedback, maybe it's overwhelming for people. So yeah. I think that I, I like that you're looking at how to adjust that style and figuring out what does each person in your team or each person in the organization, because they re, we, we all respond very differently to totally. that. And there's, um, there's a lot of work that's done in the area of, you know, giving that instant feedback so that people can course correct and they can move on. And I love that it's creating what I would call the resilient organization. You know, what we're able to do is act on the things that we're working on instead of continuing to do the same thing over and over again and not changing the results. So that's how, you know, patterned behavior and and habits get created in companies where things keep being said and nothing's being done. I also think it gives you the opportunity as an individual to try something on for size and see if it works and get the instant feedback of yes or no. So if I, if I do something as an example and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself out there and I'm standing in front of a room and I'm not used to public speaking and someone says, you know what, when you were in front of that room, you delivered the presentation fairly well, you looked confident, but you were fidgeting a lot. So the next time I go and speak in front of a room, maybe I'm more conscious of that fidgeting. And then the feedback I receive can be something else. But it's about trying something new and then receiving feedback mm-hmm. on that trying something new. So maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. But yeah. you have the opportunity to, to either fail it fast and adjust or embrace that change and continue it forward and continue to build on it in a positive way. Yeah, I love that. That's that's. That's amazing. In terms of some of the challenges that you have as a leader, and not just about feedback, but, you know, everybody wants to know, you know, my experience in the companies that I work with is people want to know that what they do matter. Yeah. They want to know that they get up in the morning and that they make a significant contribution. And I hear this across the board. And as you said earlier, millennials get painted with a fairly negative brush. Mm -hmm. But there, I have not found any generation that doesn't have that core fundamental value. 
They want to know that what they do matters. Totally. How does that impact your leadership and how does that impact your, your work? For me, I think it's about celebrating success full stop, whether it's a, mind, a small success, a big success, it's someone pushing themselves out of their comfort zone, it's delivering something, whether it be a major or a minor milestone in their work. It's about embracing that success and celebrating it collectively. So not behind a closed door, but as a group. And making sure that others are aware of that celebration as well. Yeah. Because I think there's a pride that goes along with doing a good job, at least for me, and I imagine and expect with others as well, you feel pride when someone pats you on the back and says, you know what, that was awesome. I really liked when you did that. Or you finished this deck and I'm so impressed and surprised with how incredibly you were able to articulate the problem in such a cohesive and digestible way. Those words mean something and they matter. And the more we celebrate those successes Mm -hmm. and the more we embrace them, also the more normal that celebration becomes, which I appreciate can be both a good and a bad thing, right? It's not just about acknowledging absolutely everything, but it's making a big deal out of things that matter. Yeah. And recognizing that if you're working on, in the context of, of the work that we do, which is project-based, appreciating that some projects last two or three years and they are delivering significant change. And sometimes it can be really hard to maintain momentum when the finish line is so far away. But if you're not celebrating those intermittent successes and really celebrating and embracing them, the finish line feels further and further. Mm -hmm. The more you celebrate those iterative successes, I think the closer the finish line becomes And it becomes almost more of a collective effort to rally around each other because you've got each other's backs. Yeah. I love that. And I'm going to flip the coin on you. Sure. What about instances where you have to put a course correction in, where you have to give candid feedback Mm -hmm. on something that's not working? How do you manage that? What do you do differently in your leadership style? Or have you been able to accomplish that? I think for me, what was hard in terms of becoming a leader was really embracing and finding my own style when it Mm -hmm. came to delivering that constructive and direct feedback and appreciating that there is a cost associated with not being direct and giving that feedback. You're not helping the other person. You're not doing them any favors by withholding that information. And I think it was really hard for me to come to terms with the fact that I could still be a leader that is respected and viewed as, I would go so far as to say as fun, but approachable and someone that you could have a an open relation, like an open dialogue with and appreciate that those things aren't sacrificed if I need to be direct and honest about where we need to course correct. And I think that that tweak for me in my own approach helped me deliver and helps me deliver on a daily basis that that direct feedback. Because it's, to me, it's part and parcel of being a team, but also the support for one another. So if I only emphasize what is positive and what is great, I'm robbing the other person of opportunities for them to grow and develop. So I think for me, that appreciation has allowed me to embrace those conversations 
and they're they're challenging regardless because you are dealing with a person's hard work and effort and blood, sweat, and tears in a lot of cases. So it's not about being rude. It's not about no. cutting them down. It's really about the support that you're looking to offer them and how you can work through that feedback together as well. It's not just delivered and then the expectation that the person takes it and runs with it and implements it on their own. It has to be a continuous loop. Mm-hmm. So you deliver the feedback, you work in, on the implementation with the individual, and then you provide feedback on how it went. Yeah. And I think the, the continuity of that conversation also helped me appreciate the value of the feedback I was providing and the fact that it's not a negative thing. No. It's about growth and development, and that's really positive. Yes. I cut my teeth on Jack Welsh, right? So, in you know, I'm not kidding. We really did work with him and, and many, many years ago. And the radical candor, you really are ripping someone off if you don't create a gap for them in their development. Yeah. So really one of the things I heard you, and you didn't say it the way I just said it, but if you don't course correct them, and the feedback loop is so important, it's not just create a gap for where they want to be so that they can strive towards that. It's also let them know how they're doing yeah. in their striving towards that. So often what will happen with leaders is, you know, they'll say things and they'll throw things out like, let them figure it out themselves. Well, that's great, but with no guidepost to see intermittently how are they doing, have they figured it out themselves, I think that is uh, a problem. You know, and I see that happening more and more where people are just kind of trusting that that the team will work it out themselves. Yes, they will, but without that ongoing feedback loop of how they're doing that, they 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 will be on the wrong football field. Right. Yeah. And what's the cost of that? Exactly. Right. Like what's the opportunity cost either of that time or the frustration? And there's a there's a real it can be detrimental. There is a true cost associated with it. So what is it that you're willing to invest and what is it that you're willing to lose? Mm -hmm. And I think feedback is an investment, positive or negative. It takes time and energy to provide constructive feedback again whether it's positive or negative but I would argue it's an investment that pays dividends yes and you see it pay off quickly and efficiently and repeatably and there aren't very many investments that can do that right but arguably I would say feedback is one of them and I think the other thing that when we look at people wanting to change their roles and change their jobs Mm -hmm. so that feedback and painting that future for them Right. So often I hear a lot of the people that I work with and leaders like yourself say, you know, around the 13, 14 month mark, you better be creating their what's next or even at nine months so that they know they've got a new future to live into. Is that the case with your in in your business? Do you see that? How how long do people want to kind of stay in their current roles and when is it time to start planning their their future? So that's really tough, namely because I think everyone's clocks are different and I think if you're truly enjoying what you do the impetus or the drive for change may be different and I hesitate to say well it's you know two years and you move or three years and you move because I think it's so individual I think though that what is universal is developing an open relationship with your manager to say here are my goals I'd love to work with you on a plan to achieve them and be open and transparent with them because ultimately it should be your manager that's your biggest advocate Mm -hmm. and the most vocal in support of 
finding or helping you find that next role. And I think keeping that a secret doesn't serve the individual, nor does it really serve the organization because it could lead to resentment down the road. It could lead to that great talent leaving the organization and finding a role externally when an equal or better opportunity could have been found internally. And wouldn't that have been better for the organization? Yeah. And so for me, it's less about the clock and it is more about trust and developing that relationship to say, here's where I am. I love being on your team. I love the challenges. I'm also really interested in pursuing the context of capital markets. I'm really interested in, in pursuing an opportunity in sales and trading. I'm really interested in pursuing an opportunity in risk management. And as a manager, what then that should signal to me is, is there a project that we have coming up that would put this person in the spotlight with a business that they're looking to join? Is there a way that I can showcase their talents so that it becomes a natural conversation with that business if they're looking for a new person? That Here's, here's an ideal individual that you should be looking at. Yeah. Or introducing them for coffee as a conversation. Like There should be a consciousness associated with that, but there does have to be that trust in that initial relationship to say, I am open to having this conversation with you, my manager, and I know that it's not going to come back and be detrimental or hold me back in any way. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we aren't, we aren't open and honest, but I think there's also a real fear associated with being open and honest. Agreed. And you think that you become this flight risk in the eyes of the manager when in actuality you probably want them to be your advocate and to support you in that change. And arguably that also speaks to the leadership style of that person as well. Yes. And and you've seen good leadership styles and you've seen bad bad leadership styles. I think, you know, from the context of, you know, when you've learned the most in terms of who you want to be as a leader. Mm-hmm and the kind of thing that you want to do, what would you say about that? What is the thing that you would say? I think what's so interesting is I have probably learned more about who I want to be as a leader and how I want to appear in the eyes of others as a leader from my negative experiences relative to my positive. And those, I'm very happy to say, came years before I found my way into RBC Capital Markets. But... While historical, that history has very much influenced the person I am today and will continue to influence the person I am tomorrow. Appreciating that the leader I am today hopefully is not the leader I am tomorrow. I want to be continuously evolving. I want my team to continuously shape who I am as a leader through the feedback they provide me and the shared experiences we have. But that's an important point because I think through the generations, and we're talking about leadership generation, and you know, when you look at the original, you know, if you look at the, um, the, I'm losing my words here, Rachel, but if you look at like post-war and the, and what was happening with leaders then, and it was very command and control and do what I said because I said so kind yeah. of experience to today where you're in the information era and everything is always moving and there's constant change. Um, the leadership style has changed because yeah. that doesn't fly anymore. And I think you're seeing an up level of people being more conscious in their leadership style. They are evolving. So the leader, exactly what you said about Steve Jobs, who he was then to who he was in the end of his career, very different. Mm-hmm. And it, and that comes again from wanting to learn, striving to learn, and looking at that in terms of, and you emulated in your own leadership. 
Yeah. You know, and how do you instill that in the leaders that you're bringing up into the company? That's interesting. I've never thought about it from that perspective. I would hope to say that there's a lot of leadership by example. And I don't know this, but I would hope that what my team sees are characteristics or elements of my leadership that they would like to emulate. I also similarly would trust that they would find things that they don't want to emulate. And I would also hope that those are the pieces of feedback that they give me. That maybe that's not where my leadership is resonating well enough and there's an opportunity for me to continue to grow and evolve. But I think it's probably the most transparent through the relationships that I hope to create with my team, which is that openness in terms of how can we best support one another? What is it that I can do to best set you up for success? And that open and honest dialogue that we have for one another and that mutual respect. Mm -hmm. Because I expect that my team is going to give me feedback in the same way that I expect to give them feedback. It shouldn't be unidirectional. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it has to be a, a two-way and a trust. And, and you've kind of, we've kind of talked about that a little bit. I want to switch gears on you. Yeah. Um, I, we work a lot with women. You, you are a champion for women. You're a champion for diversity. You're a champion in your company. And, um, you know, I work with a lot of women in transition who have either, you know, they're in their career and they've gone, you know, they've opted to have children in their career. And mm-hmm. that option has, you know, morphed into how do they lead, you know, how do you lead as a mother of two children? How has that impacted your career? And not all women in leadership roles opt to have children. And this one is, it can be very challenging. It can be challenging on both ends because, you know, one, women who don't have children, you know, for whatever reason, there's like a stigma around that. And then women who do have children, there's also a stigma around it. So it's a rock and a hard place. But what's been your experience and how has it impacted your career? So for me, becoming a mother has been nothing but positive, both personally and professionally. I truly believe that I am a better version of myself as a mother, both personally and professionally. I am so fortunate because I am fulfilled in every aspect of my life. I have a... I love that because I don't believe in suffering as a mother or a woman no, in business. Nor should and I a lot of to. women do. <laughs> and, and I think part of that is, from my journey anyway, it's about not accepting that I had to choose to be one versus the other. I didn't have to decide that I was going to be a mother and as a result it was going to sacrifice my career progression and I didn't feel that I had to sacrifice my career progression in order to be a mother. Those to me, I would go so far as to say that in my own mind I had created those as myths. Mm -hmm. Those are preconceived constructs that I have not allowed to influence my journey Mm -hmm. in any way and I fully appreciate that others will view that as very naive For me, it has allowed me to truly feel fulfilled in my personal life with my amazing family, my extremely supportive husband, my two incredible children that are the light of every moment of my life. 
but I also have a career that I love and am phenomenally proud of that I would also go so far as to say that I've never allowed myself or anyone around me to take my foot off the gas. Mm -hmm. I've taken two maternity leaves with both children and to part of our earlier conversation, I, I plagued myself with worry and doubt with what should have been a very joyful experience of being pregnant for the first time and what that represents in terms of life changes. But the fear of having to speak to my manager about the fact that I was pregnant, that I was going to have to take a a leave of absence regardless of the duration. And I, and at that point I wasn't sure how long I wanted to take, but the fact that I would be gone from the organization and would they forget me, would my life from a professional perspective, ceased to end for that duration of my maternity leave. What would it all mean? And I was so inside my head with fear. Yes. And I don't know that my manager could have been more excited for me if he had tried. He practically jumped over the desk to give me a hug and congratulate me and, you know, bestow all of these words of wisdom and the excitement that exuded because as a proud father himself, he couldn't wait for me to have these experiences. It was amazing. And I came back after roughly eight months. So given when I had my son and coming back, there's roughly an eight month period. And I had decided before I had my son, when I was going to be coming back, it was the right decision for me. And I, I went back to work and I was so distraught before I did. I, for the three weeks before I went back to work, I cried every single day. Because yep. how could I leave this this person that I had spent every minute with for the last eight months? And I, I probably hadn't spent more than five months apart to our own detriment, probably <laughs> for our own mental health. You know, I, how could how could he be okay? How could I be okay? And I don't I mean, know. A lot of women struggle with and, that. And, and I don't know what it was, but on my walk, I will never forget it from... Union Station to my office, something changed in my mind. And I knew that I was going to be a better version of myself as a mother, as a working mother. Like I knew that I was going to strike this intellectual and and personal balance that was just going to work for me. And I think it's important for me to say that it worked for me because I, I, you have to come to that decision on your own in terms of what it is that you want to take on in either realm and for me it, it's it's worked out to the point where I came back after having my son and within that year of coming back I was promoted mm-hmm. so that signaled to me not only the supportive nature of my company and my organization but my work product didn't suffer my reputation didn't suffer nothing changed between before and after which was amazing Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to let go of all of those fears of being forgotten in my maternity leave. Yeah. And is my career going to slow down? Am I going to be a year, two, three years behind my male peers because I have taken a leave? Or actually, let me correct that. Peers. Peers, yeah. Who haven't taken a leave. Because it doesn't matter, male or female. It's about that leave. Yeah. That was That was really plaguing me. And... Luckily, I got pregnant again, (laughs) and we were graced with my incredible daughter, and I took another maternity leave, and within a year of coming back after having my daughter, I was promoted again. So 
that signaled that it wasn't a fluke the first time. Right. But I now have two of two examples. Yes. Where I have been so supported through those transitions. And my perceptions were exactly that. They were my perceptions of the reality. But the reality was completely different. And it's about, again, the openness of the dialogue of what does that transition represent? What is What do you want it to look like? Yeah. And having that trusting relationship with your manager so that you are supporting one another in that time. Because yeah. as much as you're leaving the organization and their team, you are also a part of the organization and the team. So what does that look like? And having that conversation and that trust, I think, is really important in how you navigate the transition. But personally, I don't feel that my career, my progression, my trajectory has been anything but supported in taking on my new role as mother. Yeah. I, I love that you say that because a, a lot of the workforce today, um, especially the millennial women, are getting ready to make that choice. They're going to opt in or opt out to become a mother. And that shapes how they'll be at work and it shapes that transition. And I think you give women the opportunity to realize you can have it all without the suffering. I don't believe in superwoman syndrome. Mm. I think there is that striking the balance and how to make that work. And I think, um, what are some of the things that you did to make sure you could have those things? So I think for me, and this goes back to a point you actually made earlier, for me, it's about how you define all. So we talk a lot about the ability to have it all. How we look at people and we compare ourselves and she or he has it all. Why can't I? But I think it's about how you define all for yourself. Exactly. And that, to some people, means having a family as well as a career. To others, it means a finding personal fulfillment in other ways, but being just as if not more busy than you would be with it. Like it's all means different things to, to different people. Yeah. And we are very quick to define it as a society. And for women, I think we are very quick to define all as having a career and a family. Yes. We're also I, quick to judge each other. A hundred. Right. And, and that's a different podcast. That's, we'll talk about that. But we, that, we are very quick, that's a whole series in <laughs> itself, but we are quick to judge each other. The, the other thing I want to just earmark, because, you know, you work in Canada, you yeah. have access to maternity leave. Yes. You know, we're so fortunate. So I want to preface this for anybody who's not living in Canada and lives in a different country, and you may not have access to a longer maternity leave. So some of your choices may feel very rushed and very, as a leader, you may have to go back to work before you wanted to necessarily, or you may feel torn and pulled. And, and a lot of women have yeah. to struggle and redefine who they are in the as a leader in their organizations. Yeah. And it is personal. It's very different. Yeah. It's very unique. And I suggest getting a coach personally, to help you through those transitions. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, I think we're very lucky as uh, women in this country. You know, we can plan our children. There are women in the world who work who don't have access to those things. And I think it, it's important for us to remember those things and include that because, you know, you we do a lot of work with young women. We do a lot of work with progression and how do we be that leader. And I love that you have, you know, created that leadership style for yourself that is authentic for you. 
and you're a mother that is authentic for you. And I love those things, and they're really remarkable. And I've had the pleasure of working with you over the last several years and, and watching that growth and that development. I think the thing that it boils down to is being a conscious leader, is having a heightened level of sense of self and mastery over those conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have been defined by those negative experiences in your past. And this is for anyone. It doesn't matter what generation in leadership you are. You know, we're always evolving. We're always leveling up. Yep. And I think that is different now than it was probably 10 and 15 and even 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's about that evolution and that willingness to change. And I think freeing yourself of the judgment that you may be subject to, I think also helps. And it, it allows you to become attuned to really who you want to be in the absence of that judgment and define what all means for you mm -hmm. and so that you know what is going to complete you. And that should and must be different person from person. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And it should influence your leadership style as well. And what do you think um, for the future of leadership? So this this is our last series in the lead gen um challenge, right? And what do you think would be, you know, if you could say to the leaders that are coming in behind you, what's going to be the biggest challenge for them in helping their organizations grow? What do you think that might be? I wish I had brought my crystal ball. I know, right? It's really hard. It's a hard question. I think what's interesting or where I'm struggling is I don't know that there's a difference in the leadership challenges that the leaders coming up, to, to use your phrase, behind me, are going to be faced with relative to the leaders today. Yeah. I think we are going to be faced with the same struggles, and I think it's about us working together to navigate them yeah. and learning from one another. Yeah. Because those leaders that are more seasoned may have a slightly different perspective of what those challenges represent than those that are coming up. I think you said it perfectly. It's working together. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't no. matter. It's tapping into the experience and bringing in that innovative thinking and that, you know, bringing that all together to create a culture where people are, are communicating openly, yeah. having those feedback loops that you talked about earlier, and really creating something powerful. And I think it's letting go of the stigma of learning only exclusively from people that are older yes. or more seasoned than you. It has to be a two-way. It has to be two ways. And I and I think you you stand to learn so much from people that have a different perspective than you. Arguably, you, you stand to learn much more. And it's about that openness and letting go of the ego of saying, well, this person's only been around for two or three years. What could they have to offer? What could they have to offer? But the reality is so much. Yeah. And you rob yourself of that opportunity if you discount them based on age, experience, gender, ethnicity. All of it. You you rob yourself, you rob your organization of the value of their experience, and there's no reason for it because it's just going to allow you all to improve and get better. Yeah. And it's about that openness. And yeah. I think that that's, that probably represents a shift for some people in terms of the openness to accept feedback and that collaboration from either more junior team members or more junior employees, or just people that are different from you. Yeah, exactly. But that's, I would I would go so far as to challenge people to say that that's where you're going to learn the most about yeah. who you are as a leader 
and how you take that feedback and roll with it and grow from it. Yeah, I love it. I'm so appreciative that you were able to join us today. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your generosity and sharing your experience and talking about leadership in a, in a crazy time. These are really fun, exciting times, but they really also is. can be very challenging. And uh, so that caps us off today with our last of our Lead Gen Challenge podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed this series. We will be doing more series uh, in the upcoming weeks. And you will hear a lot more from Coach C and our podcast corner.